0: You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere.
1: Pitchers and catchers are preparing to report to spring training, and of course, the Diamondbacks pitchers and catchers will have the shortest distance to go from their home city to their spring training sites, uh, which is always a fun time for Steve Gilbert and all of his friends out there. So let's catch up with Steve Gilbert. I'm Allison Footer. Steve, let's talk about the Diamondbacks. not a lot going on with your team right now, but they did have a rookie development program recently, which reading about it, it sounds very much like the Major League Baseball one that they hold. Um, in Virginia it's in January it's a really good time to sit and, and talk with the players make sure that they understand uh what it takes to become a major leaguer on the field and off the field so what can you tell us about what the diamondbacks do and, and does it mirror the bigger one from major league Baseball?
0: yeah yeah so they just you know they wanted to bring guys in that they felt like were were closer to the big leagues and there's only a certain number of organization can send to the rookie development program for major league baseball and a couple of the guys that had gone to the major league baseball one also came out to this one and it was just a way for them to kind of get 10 of their their prospects that, that could be in the big leagues as soon as uh, this season uh into a smaller group where they could uh they heard from some motivational speakers one of them was the high school football coach whose team had uh won all those consecutive games, and they made the, uh, the movie When the Game Stands Tall about, about that, uh, about him. Uh, Tony La Russa also spoke kind of giving them an idea of, you know, his thoughts after having managed for so long in the big leagues. Um, And so they got to do that. The position, they broke off into position groups where it was just, you know, one or two from each position that could get real hands-on instruction. And so it was just more of a way to kind of give them a taste of certain things and give them an idea of what's going to be expected because most of these guys are coming to uh, spring training as as either non-roster invites or first-time 40-man roster guys.
1: So they really get a lot of... um I mean, I think it's really interesting. It's very it's a very helpful. It's, the teaching them about dealing with media, dealing with, um, you know, some of the unsavory people that might want to come into your life, knowing who to trust, who not to trust. Uh, I mean, things like that, that we kind of take for granted. But at the same time, there's a lot that's thrown at these guys. And not everyone's a bonus baby, of course. Uh, most players, when they sign, they sign for $1,000. And that's basically what they get per month to play baseball. But But once they come into fame, fortune, I mean, there's just a lot to handle. And we don't really think about it in terms of of that they may not know how to handle all that. So this probably, is that incorporated into this where they really have, like, people that are chatting to them about that kind of stuff?
0: I think they have some of that, not probably to the same extent that they did the Major League Baseball one. Um, right. They only had three days worth of, of time this time around, and, and I talked with uh, Mike Bell, who's their, you know, vice president of player development. He said that they're going to look at next year, maybe doing something a little longer, just to kind of spread it out and give give maybe even some more players an opportunity to come in and, and hear some different things. So that's certainly part of the thinking behind it. Um, and also, you know, there's some guys like Tyler Jones who, you know, they, they drafted in the Rule Five draft. It's a good good experience for him, he was saying, to, to come in and get a chance to actually meet some of his teammates. You know, people will, will be in spring training as well as some of the major league staff that, uh, that otherwise he wouldn't get to see until, until spring training opens.
1: So, okay, let's look at uh, more of what's going on the field as soon as the pitchers and catchers report. When you just look at overall the team, uh, the Diamondbacks obviously um, had a disappointing year last year, somewhat having to do with injuries. Uh, somewhat having to do with just guys that were supposed to be really good, not being very good. Um, we've had rehashed that enough. But what would you say would be like the strength of the team going into going into spring training, not necessarily opening day, strength of the team going into spring training?
0: You know, Alton, I, I think that the strength of this team is, is really its everyday position player core. Um, they have some young, talented guys that, that uh, first off, in Paul Goldschmidt, um, you also have A.J. Pollock, provided he's healthy, a guy with, uh, that, that maybe even has farther to grow um, than, he, than he showed in, in 2015, which was an outstanding season for him. Jake Lamb is starting to come into his own at, at third base. Brandon Drury is another young kid that they're excited about, maybe seeing some, some playing time at, at second base. Um, David Peralta, Chris Owings, I mean, you can kind of go on and on down the list. They have some some pretty good depth and some pretty good uh, players when it comes to everyday position players.
1: Okay, and finally, last topic, all all 30 MLB.com reporters were asked to write a story about the best free agent signing in their club's history. And I know that you probably stayed up all night pondering this and trying to figure out (laughs) running through the all-time rosters for every season of the Diamondbacks have been around. Uh, of course, I'm being very sarcastic. So, Randy Johnson, uh, your, bold, your bold pick for the best <laughs> region signing in franchise history. And let me say one thing. So, I, at the time when Randy Johnson signed with the Diamondbacks, he was actually had come off his two-month season with the Houston Astros in 1998. And the Astros... Hmm pretended that they were in a bidding war to try to retain him, knowing the entire time he had no intentions of resigning. And he had every intention of signing with the Diamondbacks, Um, which is exactly (laughs) what happened. Um, And, I guess there was some criticism at the time um, from a from a public standpoint because Randy was the uh, elderly age of 35 at the time when he signed that, which seems a little silly now to think that um, there was a there was a thought that maybe he wouldn't be as effective.
0: Yeah, how crazy is that? I mean, when when the Diamondbacks <laughs> did go out and, and sign him to that deal, they you know there was there was some some criticism or speculation that you know, wow, Randy Johnson. I mean, yeah, he's great, but he's getting up there in age and. Is this really what a what a, a expansion team should be doing, um, you know, signing a guy like this? And Jerry Colangelo was committed to the fact that, that he thought that this team could win um, and that they needed to, to take a gigantic step forward in order to keep selling tickets. So, uh, you know, he went out and what we say on a limb for a four-year, $52 million contract, which was pretty big at that point. And Johnson was 35, as you said, and, and all he did over those four years was win, you know, four straight, National League Cy Young Awards, a uh, World Series title, and you know an MVP, co-MVP award in that World Series. So uh, that that was you know one of the one of the easier assignments when they asked for what the best free agent signing by uh, the organization you cover was. And I, I tell you what was a little challenging was trying to come up with like you know what would be number two as far as free agents go. And you know I. I, I didn't really realize that that Steve Finley. You know, you you go back and and you look at you know a four-year, twenty-one and a half million dollar contract that he signed right around the same time. You know, he put up some some very good numbers over those four years that uh, that kind of made that deal worthwhile for uh, for the Diamondbacks.
1: What about Godza? Was he a he was a free agent signing,
0: wasn't he? No, he was a trade. No, he, they, oh. they got him uh, from the Tigers for Kareem Garcia. Which, if you had to go back and look at what maybe the, one of the best trades in Diamondbacks history would be, that would be <laughs> that would be right up there too. You know, in, in uh, before the 1999 season, uh, getting him that was a uh, that was a huge. Obviously, it turned out to be a, a great deal. Joe Gargiola Jr. Uh, gets the credit for that one.
1: Wow, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, Gonzo had a great career with the uh, with the Diamondbacks, but he could have just whittled it down to one single hit and he'd still be considered having a great career with the Diamondbacks. That was really fun to watch that World Series. Okay, wow, Steve, look at all the time we filled up. Thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next week. I know so
0: much. I'm surprised we were able to get to it all, but that, that's great, Al.
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you very much for all
1: of your contributions. Take care.
0: Talk to you soon.